it's a brave act to have your faith and your life shift in a different direction. I think I've always just leaned into the courage and how exciting it is, you know? Like, my life has gone in so many amazing directions. If I had just stayed in the place where I was, I wouldn't have the type, I wouldn't have the depth, this is it, I wouldn't have the depth of relationships that I have today with people that are willing to journey with me in the messy parts of life. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of What the Faith. On today's episode, we talk with Elizabeth Hagen, who's a graduate of Duke Divinity School and has been a pastor for 15 years. In our conversation today, we really dive into Elizabeth's new book, Brave Church, Tackling Tough Topics Together. We learned a lot from Elizabeth, mainly about the role that transparency and authenticity needs to play in religious spaces and how spiritual growth can really only come from being in an environment where we feel we can be vulnerable and transparent with people who are going through similar things. And that's exactly what her book's about. We learned a lot from Elizabeth. We really enjoyed getting to know her and more of her work. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for coming on the What the Faith podcast. Ash and I had a chance to read part of your book. And so we're really looking forward to diving into your story and your book and kind of, you know, what has led you to this place. So to get started, we'd love to know as far as your faith journey goes, what led you to wanting to write this book? Sure. Well, a lot of things. I think the the roots of writing Brave Church come from a place even in my childhood because I grew up in a conservative evangelical Christian church where my father was a pastor. And so that meant we were always at church and we did all the things. I'm not sure we had a life outside of church. I mean, I think our family vacations were at church conferences, which now... I would never do that to my child. But anyway, all that to say, I I mean, I grew up in a community that was really into theology. It was really into the Bible. It was really into getting together on a frequent basis, but it wasn't so much about talking about real life. And one of the things that I always noticed growing up, especially as a teenager, when I got involved in, you know, other groups with teens and in leadership positions myself a little bit, is that people seem to just not want to talk about things. And there would be people in our community that would have something happen to them and no one would want to talk about it. And somehow they would disappear and then maybe they would reappear. But it was like, let's just smile and pretend like nothing happened. And so when people ask me why I became a pastor, which is something that happened for me about 15 years ago, I think and I, I, I usually always say that I became a pastor because I wanted a faith community to be more authentic. I wanted to be a leader where I felt like we could talk about our doubt. We could talk about our real life where we could help people feel welcome no matter where they were on their journey. And um, most of all, I wanted that for myself, you know, because I've been through things in my life where I felt like, you know, if I could just have some more support, if I could really just talk about this, I would feel more accepted. And that That to me is what bravery is all about. And um, it's how I landed, I think, in a a space called Brave Church. I just, I really, I reading about, you know, the need to be real, you know, especially in like a religious and faith-based space, I think it's so important. Uh, It was cool kind of hearing your your perspective of that. I think what, what were some of the things that you noticed that really get kind of pushed to the side, oftentimes that kind of real experiences that get ignored. Well, I'll tell you a little bit more about how I got to writing this particular thing, which is 
an experience of mine that was is something I think is ignored in a lot of faith communities, no matter what the religious tradition is. And, and that is, I went through a long season in my own life of infertility and miscarriage. And I found, even though I wrote a book on that topic, that's my first book, Birth, Finding Grace Through Infertility, I was doing what you do when you write a book and you talk about it and you go to groups and things like that. And I had people tell me that like, we can't talk about infertility. That's like too personal or there's not enough quote young people in the room. Um, Mind you, when I would do, when I was able to do talks, there would be women in their sixties who would come up to me in tears and say, you know, my child was conceived through IVF years ago. And it was back when no one even knew what that word meant. And I always felt like if they were, if I could have just talked about it, you know, I would have really loved to. And, and so I experienced the isolation and the pain and the loss of having this really difficult thing happen to me that went on for years and years when I was trying to be a leader and feeling like, it wasn't something that I could bring up um, even when I was able to write about it and, and have that be a part of something I wanted to say. But I, I know that's not it. I mean, the book is about uh, five key topics and I really could write another volume. I mean, <laughs> the list could go on and on. And I would love to hear from you all. Like, what are some things you think? I, I think my dream is to maybe write a second volume because I think these topics are not the be all end all. But I write about infertility and miscarriage. I write about mental illness, mental health. I write about domestic violence, intimate partner violence. I write about um, racism and about sexuality. And for me, these were some topics I felt like in this moment in time where we are in the world in America right now, that these are, are topics that everyone is talking about, but somehow in our faith space, we find them taboo and we find it hard to begin to have conversations about these things. Yeah, and one thing that kind of popped up in my brain when, especially when I was reading your introduction, um, and one thing I've even gone through in my own faith experience and process of kind of, you know, I came into Christianity in kind of a non-denominational way (laughs) and kind of just, you know, very cookie cutter evangelical culture. And I think for me, that like lack of vulnerability and the Mm -hmm. skill of vulnerability plays a detriment on personal faith. Right. Because if we can't be vulnerable in our community in a spiritual space, then how are we supposed to then translate that to be vulnerable in our relationship with God or a higher power? And so I'd be curious from like your perspective, how did allowing like space for vulnerability and discussion play a positive role? Like what role did that play in kind of your own faith growth? Oh, I think it's everything. I'm not sure I would be a person of faith at all if if there weren't for experiences of deep connection um, with others um, in a way in which I felt like I was really known and accepted. I mean, because isn't that what we all want? We want to know that we can bring our whole selves to an experience of faith, to an experience of God, of of higher being and higher power and, and the life to come, whatever that may be, you know? And I think I was really frustrated, like I was saying growing up, that I felt like, you know, we were so focused on right belief and particular doctrine that if we did not do exactly what we were told and follow these rules, then somehow we weren't doing God any favors, you know, like somehow I was supposed to be um, as a Christian I was supposed to be a representation of all the best things. And I was supposed to have such a happy, good life to the point in which, you know, I couldn't mess up or I couldn't 
you know, have doubt or wonderings. Um, I couldn't say, you know, that maybe things that I always thought were true were maybe not true anymore. And I think my faith journey would not be what it is um, if it weren't for those who had made space for me to be brave and to say things. I mean, in my particular context, women were not allowed to be leaders. I didn't grow up with any um, leadership models of women um, who were pastors or elders or any sort of, you know, church board members. My mother, I think, still is longing to be an usher. (laughs) She's never been allowed. I mean, come on how hard it is. You just collect the money and walk up and down, you know, but that's not, that's the men's job. The men and the men were always called up in, in my church growing up to pray. And, you know, for me, when I, was in my own spiritual journey and discerning that, that I was to be a person who was supposed to be a leader and that I was supposed to go to seminary and study theology. It was, it was so hard (laughs) because that was nothing I'd ever seen before. And there were so many voices around me at that time. And there still are so many voices that say that I'm wrong, that I am not following the rules and that I need to just be quiet and I don't need to preach. And, you know, I knew about myself that that was my, my calling to lead was something I could never change. It just was what it was. And, you know, because of the rejection that I've experienced, loss of so many folks who are in my community as a child. I mean, they don't talk to me anymore. Um, they, they don't want to, they, they would never come to hear me talk or they, they don't keep up with me that it's been a lot of loss. I, I understand others uh, who have experienced a sense of loss because of their changing faith beliefs whether it be because they come out as gay or whether it be because they've experienced overt racism and they just get tired of it and they're ready to be in another community. You know, um, I'm sad that I've had to experience the pain that I've gone through to be the leader that I am, but I'm also thankful for it because it's given me a lot of, I believe, sensitivity to those who also experience a sense of being called an outcast or being shunned from their community of origin because of something about them that they can't change. That is that is super powerful, especially because I think for somebody to be in a leadership position that's come from that place of kind of hurt and has been hurt by faith in the past. I'm curious now how you um, are able to approach teaching and using the Bible, especially now that you keep in mind that yourself and other people have been hurt by the same thing that you're teaching from. I'm curious what the approach is. Well, I think that when you teach or preach from the scriptures, I think there is, there's so much wisdom there and so much deeper stuff that when I, the way that I was taught was so like surface level, like memorize these verses and have this be like your go-to, like love the Lord with all your heart and soul. You know, if like you have a problem or if you have a bad day, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, it's never gone away, you know, stuff. But, you know, I love, I love the opportunity um, as I've had it for many years to preach because I, I always find, even if it's a text that I've heard a thousand times, when you really sit with the original hearers of the text and why they were hearing these words or what was their context and what was going on at the time, I always find new things. And I always find things that really push me to the expansive love of God. And <laughs> I think we've really done a huge disservice 
through the years in our keeping of traditions um, in, in the Christian sphere, that we we're so trying to protect God and protect Jesus and keep him nice and pretty and white, because of course, Jesus, of course, is white, even though he came from the Middle East, you know, like we, we try to do these things and we don't go deeper into what they offer us and how God really does want all of us to find a place of belonging. And I ultimately try to read scripture with the breadth of the whole story. You can't take a passage out of context. You can't just look at one little story and not understand the larger intention of why that book was written or where it falls in the canon. Um, And I also draw on other spiritual texts. I mean, I believe that you can learn so much from other faith seekers from throughout the centuries, those who are on a journey as well, that, you know, I've been known to not only just study the Bible, but study other key texts and be in small groups of people who really dive in and discuss things that that is, it's been really meaningful in the places I've served. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like I'm kind of also in like a similar boat, right? Like a Christian who also reads various religious texts and things. And I feel like a really common thread with either friends I have or other people I meet kind of in the, you know, Christian space who has like that hesitancy, right? Of like anything that kind of diverges from like their box and mm-hmm. becomes a threat. And, you know, some of just the other conversations we've had with people around like why that like curiosity and that journey isn't something that's always embraced. And one thing we've come across is people say often that they're like afraid of what they'll find. Right. Like if you read, if you relook at, you know, a piece of scripture from a different lens or you change your mind about a particular theological topic, I think a lot of people are afraid of that growth process because, well, if I change my mind on homosexuality, what does that mean for my community? What does that mean for everything? And so from your just experience in a pastoral role, how do you kind of help people and encourage people to like lean into that curiosity and to lean into looking at different perspectives on the Bible and Christianity? Well, um, I, I think it begins with having an open heart and knowing, especially as a leader, I think leaders particularly want to be right or think that we have the answer to questions. And we're and we're afraid that we're going to be somehow shamed if, if if we get into something and we change our mind or we made a public statement on this 10 years ago and here we are. I think we need to give each other more grace, you know, that we're all on a journey and I shouldn't be held accountable for something I did 15 years ago. You know, like, I mean, I'm sorry for that, you know, if I've hurt someone or I don't mean to um, be rude anyway, but that we're all on a journey and we're all evolving and we're all going to end up in different places and to give each other space to be able to do that. When I was writing Brave Church, I was teaching it in the summer of 2019 to my congregation in Washington, D.C., And it was so exciting because I was a little bit nervous thinking we're going to spend a whole summer talking about these quote hard topics and are they going to, you know, not like this, but they showed me again, what a brave church that they were. And they were just so excited, you know, because each chapter in the book, Brave Church starts with scripture that invites people in to the conversation, you know, like in the chapter on racism, I talk about the teaching from the Sermon on the Mount about Jesus saying to get the speck out of your own eye before, you know, you 
begin to judge others or in the domestic violence chapter, I read a, a song that I really feel like takes people to the journey of depression and of abuse and crying out to God to say, God, where are you? I, I do not feel safe, which is really the experience of domestic violence. And so I found that summer as we were going deep into these topics, they were just so excited. I mean, it was like, why have we not done this for years that we can take these holy texts and we can bring out these experiences that either we've had in our own personal lives or we know someone in our family or in our community that has seriously been affected by this. And they really resonated with it and were like, let's do more of this, you know? And one cool thing was, you know, I saw the the prayer requests change (laughs) that people were instead of just praying for, you know, the cancer list or, you know, the grieving list, which are great things to pray for, you know, to send energy to, they were beginning to talk about mental health in our request. They asked if we could celebrate domestic violence awareness month and put up statistics in the bathroom and helplines and stuff. You know, it was so awesome to see just, taking the scripture and applying it to these real life experiences that we all have on our hearts and minds, how that began to change our life together and really move us toward action, you know? Yeah. You mentioned that, I think in the introduction chapter about just like prayer requests in general. And I thought that was a good point, right. Of like, especially to, um, you know, I've been to lots of like, like non-denominational churches will do that where you have like the prayer request people up front, you know, and it's like this thing where I've gone a few times and like, I've never done it. Cause I'm like, man, I'm supposed to go up to this like random stranger and like give them like this very like meaningful, heartfelt prayer request. (laughs) You know, and so I think like, I love that of just like creating spaces for people. And I think that honestly can only be achieved sometimes, like at least to start in like small groups, right? Where like yeah. people feel like they have a safe space. And, you know, I did like a small group this last summer where we dove into like racism in the church, right? And like that, like there was so much growth that came from that experience. Like it was probably my best small group kind of church experience I had because there was so much more room to like be open and honest with one another. And I like see some churches going in that direction, but I would be curious, you know, as a pastor, just like with, you know, the ever growing movement of deconstruction. And there's so many people who are leaving evangelical culture and have just like had such bad experiences with the church, which I would say like a lot of that is rooted in this like lack of ability to be vulnerable. Um, How are you kind of navigating this time of like, I feel like there's so much change happening within our church landscape you're right. There's so much change and it's going to keep changing. You know, um, there's, I mean, I, when I was in seminary, it was like all the expectation that we would finish our theological education and then we would get a full-time job in a parish of some sort. I went to Duke Divinity School. It was very ecumenical, you know, people going all these different directions. And now when I look at what my classmates are now doing and what folks I know that are, that are in, theology school now, it's like you don't, you can't expect that it's going to be your full-time job because the way that, um, you know, churches are shrinking and we're changing our idea of what, what communities are and people's commitment level to community life because of all this that you're talking about, the hurt, the, the loss, the deconstruction, it's there, you know, but I, I find it kind of hopeful. I mean, which sounds, I don't mean to be dismissive of what is a very sad process for many people, but I think we're being refined. You know, we're getting rid of all of the 
you know, in the the shift in the church, we're getting rid of so much of the cultural baggage that comes along with creating a a faith community. You know, I write about in um, the infertility chapter about how we focus so much on these like non-traditional, you know, non-religious holidays, like Mother's Day and Father's Day. We we just had Father's Day recently. And now they bring so much pain to people. But then like, why are we even doing this? This has nothing to do with like the reason why we gather to worship, you know? And I think, you know, when we are, we're brave and we're beginning to reformulate our life together and we're thinking about like, what is the point? You know, and I think so many churches are coming out of this COVID bubble of, you know, so much of their programming, so much of what they invested their time and energy in, you know, had to stop. And they're coming back together and they're refiguring out some of these things that maybe, you know, having a big Mother's Day brunch, <laughs> you know, where all the women are recognized and it's really awkward and, you know, strange. Like, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we could do like what you you experienced that was so fruitful for you, you know, last summer. Like, what if we invested in a small group that talked about racism, you know, because that's something that is really deep seated in so much of our institutional life. And let's let's talk about that. Um, or even you know, having a group that talks about the, you know, pain around Father's Day. You know, yeah. I listened yeah. to this past weekend, like about that, you know, it's called Daddy's Daddy Issues. <laughs> right. Yeah. They, like yeah. talked a lot about like how for there's so many people who, you know, don't come from quote unquote, you know, cookie cutter, normal family backgrounds. There's a lot of people who have broken relationships with their parents. And I think to like you know, I've even been to some church services that, you know, talk about 4th of July and things like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Where there's kind of these like other external holidays that really yeah. connect, like connected to our spirituality, but just through culture have become connected. Right. Uh, right. So, yeah, no, I can I can totally relate to that. Do you have any thoughts, Ashton? Well, I've just been thinking about the word bravery that kind of you're you're emphasizing in your book and also uh, here. And I just think that I've been kind of reflecting on how huge that is. I'm like so glad that you use that word because I think that is like the biggest problems in the, it's not really hate oftentimes in I think the faith settings, but oftentimes the fear. And so I'm curious, like with one of the fear that I've thought about a lot with, especially like shifting faith where, you know, people, especially with mental health, but it, it kind of surrounds all these topics of the fear of losing favor. I think so many people are, they're worried that they might lose God's favor or whoever's favor, or they are losing the favor. And that's why they're so unhappy is because they, you know, it's not, it's oftentimes for my past. So from the Joe's witness past, it wasn't directly taught that way, but it was kind of this logical roundabout of like, oh, if I'm doing good, then I obtain Holy Spirit. I feel good. But if Mm -hmm. I'm doing something bad, then I don't get the Holy Spirit. So I feel bad, you know, so I'm curious how you're able to teach people the bravery to counteract that and how you're able to help people like be happy with all the imperfections that we're constantly facing in life. Well, I think this is a part of my own understanding of God and faith as an adult that I didn't have years ago, but I grew up in a similar way with that sort of transactional relationship, right? Like if you're a good person, good things will happen to you. You know, if you're not getting what you're praying for, it's your fault somehow. Like maybe you should pray harder, (laughs) but just, just, um, I could swear, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's just crazy. And, you know, I think that the human experience is messy. I mean, there's no way to get around it. And just because we have a relationship with God or we have a sense of centering 
you know, in our life with the divine, it doesn't make the human experience any more full of ups and downs. I mean, I I think a, a relationship with God or a sense of God's presence in our life is, is about how we handle those storms and the internal sense of knowing we aren't alone and that we belong to a greater human family. I mean, life is just hard. And I wish that more faith leaders would talk about it, you know? that would talk about how difficult it is that you can set out on a path and you think you've discerned a decision about something and things just don't work out. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're doing something wrong. It just means that life is hard. You know, I love the Frederick Buechner quote that says, here is the world, terrible and beautiful things will happen. Because to me, that's really what we hold in life. You know, that there are really sucky things that happen, (laughs) but when we have a community, when we have a sense of God in our lives, we we can somehow survive the worst things that happen to us. And we can know that we're not alone and that we're, we're loved even in our pain and that we're seen in our pain. And that's why I want churches to be brave because there's so many people, and you, you all know this because you talk to them. There's so many people who are in deep pain because of an experience of exclusion. And I just feel like we we can do so much good in the world if we run to those in whom have felt left out or have felt unseen and we show up not in trying to change them, make them believe something, join our church, give money, whatever, but we just are with them and we help them to know that God loves them too, just from our presence. No agenda, no nothing, but just to recognize their pain and help them know that they belong. You know, I have colleagues that say to me, my goodness, Elizabeth, you keep writing about all these like things that we we don't talk about. Um, my next book is going to be about family estrangement and the goodness of family estrangement. That's something that's really been another part of my story, which is not very popular to talk about either. I'm, I know that you all have, and I really appreciate that, you know, but I feel like even though if this keeps making me an outcast, in some faith circles. I'm glad to do it because if there's anything I want to do most is to help those who have been left out know that they are welcomed by God. And that's really a big deal. It's a huge deal. I think, I mean, kind of, I mean, it often, it makes me think of how it's important to feel the bad things too, the messiness. Cause I think about like when, you know, Jesus would have been here on earth, how messy human life was back then. I mean, like it was, you know, there was leprosy killing people, you know, all over the place and there was pestilence, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of issues and it was finding the love and, and loving one another during that time, I guess, if you boil it down enough. And so I think that is, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm curious if there's kind of a, the cultural nowadays where we culturally have this idea of like this perfect life that we have to have. And if we don't have that and how that's really kind of messed with people's faith and spirituality nowadays. Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. It definitely has. You know, I have people that, you know, come to me when I'm their pastor and they say, you know, I've been trying so hard, you know, to get a new job and I just can't seem to get a new job. And this, you know, I want to be on a different vocational path and it's just so hard or I really want to be married and I've just been single for like way too long. Like, why is God not sending me someone, you know, or um, my child is just in such a hard place and they're in and out of this 
psychiatric ward and I, I don't know how to make them better. And I pray. I mean, they say to me, I pray, I pray, you know, and it doesn't seem to change them. And I, I don't understand, you know, <laughs> like in my life, I don't understand why I never could biologically have a child. I mean, I, that's just not going to happen for me. I don't understand why, but it, it is. And I think if we, we did a better job of just not trying to fix people in the messiness of life and helping just loving people through the mystery. You know, if I were to say who I think God is, I would most of all say to me personally that God is a mystery. And I'm in some ways, well, most ways, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that God's a mystery because there's so much that I, I'm glad I don't have to understand or know because this world is huge and crazy and all these things that happen, I don't understand them. But I can trust in the great mystery that things will all be well. I don't know what that means or when that time is, but all shall be well. And I think, you know, it, it's been a journey for me to get to that point to believe in mystery because I really always wanted like my nice check boxes. And I can, and I find myself struggling with that, even though that that's what I know I think I believe. <laughs> um, I have to remind myself when things aren't going as I, as I want them to go. Why, why do I think I can control life? You know, we all do that. Yeah, I have, a, I have this quote on my desk that said, God is everything you can't explain. Yeah, I love it. And I, you know, that's even something for me. And I feel like that's just part of the human experience, right? Like we live in a culture that says, you know, here's these check boxes that kind of equal your worth, right? Like you have a job, you're married, you have a house, right? And I feel as Ashton mentioned, and you mentioned, like it really spills over into our spiritual life, especially when you're in a church environment that is very much structured the same way of like, if you follow the rules, then good things will happen to you. And I think making that stepping stone into like understanding, maybe like we can't unconditionally love ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. But the infinite creator, all knowing wisdom, energy in the world could Right. And I think a lot about that of like, you know, the commandment of like, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But if you think about how we love ourselves, man, we do such a shitty job to love our neighbor. At least I do, you know? And so I feel like that is like a lifelong journey for a lot of people. At least it is for me, right? Of just like constantly kind of what you mentioned, like reminding yourself, okay, like this is what I think I believe, but like I keep self-doubting myself of that. Like, am I really worthy of love for just being who I am? Um, And I I think that is something that is a lifelong struggle, especially in a spiritual sense. And it's just like churches don't equip people to think that way. Like that was like a totally brand new like concept to me when I started doing spiritual direction. Like I had never heard a church talk about that. Right. (laughs) Like this idea. Yeah. And there's so many churches, like I was thinking as you're saying this, like they have this theology that, you know, if good things happen, then your, your life's going to be good. And there's people sitting in those pews or watching those virtual services who have that as their model, but yet everything in their life is just messed up, you know, like they're, their marriage is terrible. Things are going wrong with their kids, but yet they show up and they smile, you know, or, and they just pretend. And that pretending is the thing that really gets me because it's no good for the person. It's no good for the community. You know, you're in a place where people are, you know, talking about their struggles or their doubts. I mean, you're that much more willing to talk about your own and um, it, it creates this sense of being known and loved. And that's what I want. Um, that's what I really, really want for myself. Maybe that's why <laughs> I wrote Brave Church, because that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of, no matter if I'm a leader or not. I want to be um, in a community with people that are willing to be vulnerable enough so that I feel less alone and that I can do the same thing for them. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I know you're thinking about maybe writing a second book, but I feel like one that would go really well with that is like uh, mixed faith relationships. Mm. That's a topic that's come up a lot. I mean, Ashton and I, like, I don't know. I think we agree more on spirituality than some people would think like on face value. But I think like that hiding, right? Like that pretending. Mm. We've like seen that with like a lot of couples, either of like this, you know, especially like of the same faith, right? Where like that seems to be a common theme of couples will get married under the base, like kind of this agreement that they're of the same faith without like really talking about like the subtle nuances of how spirituality works. And then it's this... Of like, then you run into conflict, and there's this lack of being able to be vulnerable with the other person, and like leaning into that disagreement. And so I just feel like I don't know. That's kind of like a random side note, but I feel like that would be beneficial to a lot of couples and people that we know and meet. Yeah, no, that's 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 great to hear that that would be meaningful. And I think you know, um, oftentimes for me, I find more in common with my interfaith colleagues than I do my Christian colleagues um, because of their, you know, some of them, you know, have such an open mind and such an open heart. And we find so many commonalities in how we talk about text and how we believe in social justice and, and, and how we organize our time. Um, I went on an interfaith pilgrimage with an Iman, a rabbi and an evangelical pastor. And then my husband went too, which is funny because he's not clergy. And so he was with all these like people, <laughs> religious people for a whole week. I was the only woman, which is interesting. So I was glad that he was there. But, and, you know, I found I had more in common with the rabbi on this trip than I did the evangelical pastor. Um, and we're still friends today. And um, yeah, it, it's interfaith stuff is really cool. Definitely. Especially, I think understanding interfaith has really helped uh, myself and other people I know with shifting faith. Like, this Mm -hmm. helped me so much more comfortable with it. And and with the the shifting faith, I do have another fear that I've seen a lot that I wanted to to ask you about, especially just, I'm considering you the brave expert because I I really like (laughs) your approach to that. Um, But I'm curious because another fear I've seen is oftentimes when people shift faith and, and the bigger the shift, the larger a shadow their past seems to cast, you mm-hmm. know, where, you know, you look back and like, man, how, like, it, it feels like a different person, but it's like, how could me, like, how could I do that? You know, how could I be, how could I think of people this certain way, you know, or, or judge certain people, you know, and um, I'm curious what your approach has been with your shift in faith and also with teaching others about how to kind of, you know, ac- accept and be happy with who they are now, especially with their past being involved. That's really, that's a, I mean, it's a sobering situation, you know, when you think about, you know, our journey of where we've come and where we are now and how we make peace with who we used to be and, and who we are now. Uh, I think the hardest part for me is knowing that I grew up with certain people. It's like we had the same experiences and why did I, why did I deconstruct? Why did I make a shift? And they're still back, you know, and having compassion for those folks who, you know, they still live in the same place they've always lived and they still believe the same things they've always believed. That's hard for me, honestly, because I'm like, why, why, if I did this, why couldn't you not do this too? But in turn, are you asking like internally, like how you make peace with that part? Yeah, just kind of your experience with that. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think you, to go along the lines of being brave, it, it's a brave act to have your faith and your life shift in a different direction. And I think I've always just leaned into the courage and how exciting it is. You know, like my life has gone in so many amazing directions. If I had just stayed in the place where I was, I wouldn't have the type, I wouldn't have the depth. This is it. I wouldn't have the depth of relationships that I have today with people that are willing to journey with me in the messy parts of life. And so I, I look at the bigger picture of the journey. You just bless yourself. And I'm from the South. So you say like, bless their heart. You know, you look at your own life and say, bless your heart. You know? <laughs> I guess you just didn't, you know, you didn't know better. And that quote, my Angela, when you know better, you do better, you know, and, and I'm glad that I shifted and I hope that I keep shifting, you know, in my own journey. And, you know, for me, the scary part is that may or may not be being a pastor in an institutional church way. You know, that that's kind of the question when I look at my own future, because I see in many ways, I mean, I come from a, a Baptist tradition, which is free church, which means I don't have a bishop or um, a larger, you know, a leader over an area that tells me to go and do. I've, I've worked in that tradition, as well as several other mainline Protestant traditions, they let me in <laughs> when there's a need. As a woman, I think you have to be very open to where there's an opportunity because there's not going to be a lot. That's what I would say to young women who are thinking of going to ministry. <laughs> you, you wear a different hat. But I, I think that's a scary part as I think about my future. I think I'll always be a pastor. Um, I always want to connect with people in their places of pain. And I always want to be someone who's on a spiritual journey. But I don't know. Maybe I will be. But maybe the church is going to take us somewhere new that it, it will not look like anything that I went to seminaries to do. And I may you know, be doing things where I'm not recognized by my title of, of being a reverend or, you know, I, I may be quote, not preaching sermons anymore, you know, and that's kind of scary, you know, when you think you're, this is your vocation and this is what you're going to do. But I, I know that I want to be open, whatever the next evolution of the church looks like and whatever kind of leaders it needs and wherever my journey takes me, I'm glad that I've learned how to diversify my income. (laughs) So it's not just tied to like one congregation paying me. And that's all I do because I think I see so many of my colleagues getting really stuck in that, that they are standing up on Sundays and they're faking it because they have to feed their family and my heart just breaks for that. Well, they say it's like every 500 years, the church has gone through a shift and we're like reaching the 500 years. And so I feel like, I don't know. I feel like it's just an, an interesting time for yes, the church, but also just like spirituality in general, which is like the pandemic. And I think a lot of people are starting to, I don't know, question their faith more or just question spirituality. And so, I don't know. I feel like kind of to your point, right? Like though deconstruction can be kind of sad, it's also can be very hopeful, right? Of growth and change. And so I think just to kind of, you know, start wrapping it up, for, you know, listeners, um, what would kind of be your biggest takeaway you you hope people, uh, take from this episode and from your book? Well, um, obviously I would love people to find Brave Church. Um, you can find it at elizabethhagen.com slash brave church. If you want to learn more about this book, but the book is not a just about an individual buying it and reading it. I say the magic of this book is getting together a group of people and doing the conversations. And the one thing that I've found and 
my years of being a pastor is that there is wonderful things that happen when you get people in a room, you know, when you tell them to turn off their phone or something for an hour and we're going to talk. And, and I believe that bravery is small steps. And for so many faith communities, I just long for them to take a small step and, and to begin to discuss some of these topics that I feel like are so important. And so I'm looking for congregations that would like to be a part of the first cohort of Brave Churches that would commit to get together, you know, eight to 10 people at least this fall and study this book together. And so if that's something you've, you've heard this and like, oh, that sounds interesting. If you would get in touch with me um, through my website, I would really love um, to chat with you more about that because I don't know where your community is or what you need, but I do strongly feel like brave conversation is what is going to really uplift us all um, to being in the spaces that are not only most fulfilling in our, our own personal lives, but what our nation needs right now. I mean, in this us versus them world we're living in. Absolutely. And there's definitely lots of people, Ashton, and I know that would totally do a small group Bible study with your book. So, well, we can awesome. <laughs> But yeah, I say say that not everybody, you know, maybe you've done a deep dive into mental health, you know, and you need to skip that chapter. Great. You know, or maybe you get to racism and you're like, oh my goodness, there's so much here. I include all these resources. I'm not an expert on any of these topics. I feel like I'm an expert on conversation and and being a pastor. Um, And so there's so many more resources that I really point you to in this that you find, well, this is what we really need to do to go deeper into that topic. Well, thank you so much. I I mean, I love just, we love the work you're doing. It's so important. I don't know. It gives me hope. <laughs> yeah. Need, yeah. Need more people. I think, I think it's definitely enjoyable to see all these people and, and having a conversation with somebody like you, who's really kind of on the forefront of making new waves and how people are able to see their own faith and spirituality. Well, thank you so much. And um, I love you, your podcast. And so thank you for starting these conversations. Um, in so many different ways and giving voice to people um, who need their stories um, to be shared. I, I really appreciate your work. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the What the Faith podcast. Music brought to you by Justin Kay. And as always, if you liked what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review for the podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.